Let me tell you what I think of bicycling. These are the words of Susan B. Anthony, speaking with groundbreaking journalist Nellie Bly in 1896. I think bicycling has done more to emancipate women than any one thing in the world. I rejoice every time I see a woman ride by on a wheel. The city of Rochester, New York, is a city of women's suffrage. From Susan B. Anthony to Elizabeth Cady Stanton, the women's rights movement made its 19th century home in this city. Less well known, however, is the degree to which the women's rights movement began not on two feet, but instead on two wheels. I'm Sarah Knight. And I'm Grace Timmerman. You're listening to Here You Are Season 5, Cycle Paths, a biking history of Rochester. This is Episode 1, Free Wheeling Women. The evolving relationship between women and cycling is one that tells of a changing landscape in every avenue, from fashion and liberation to an entirely new way to exist within the public sphere, both equally and independently of men. Although the bicycle was invented in 1817 in Germany, the history of the modern bicycle really picks up speed in the 1890s with the newfound popularity of the safety bicycle. When you first said the word bicycle, you probably imagined a modern construction of the bike with two equal-sized wheels and a straight crossbar. If so, your mental image isn't too far off from how the safety bicycle was constructed, even way back in the 1890s. That is, if men were the ones riding. In the late 19th century, bicycles were gendered in their construction, a quality still sometimes found today. For a woman's bicycle, imagine instead a curved, low-hanging crossbar to accommodate dresses and skirts. Initially, cycling was an activity restricted to an elite upper class, and white women were permitted to ride in private cycling clubs, on tandem bicycles with their husbands, or on his property. But following the first industrial revolution, working class women adopted bicycles as a method of transportation to their not-so-shiny new jobs in factories. We spoke with Dr. Aniv Rabinovich Fox, a professor at Case Western University, who wrote the book Dressed for Freedom, The Fashionable Politics of American Feminism, and Deborah Hughes, the president and CEO of the National Susan B. Anthony Museum and House. They described the bicycle craze in the 1890s as such. So first of all, right, it's something new, and it's also technological. But by the time that the safe bicycle is being introduced, it really is becoming kind of like the horse of the people. And for a long time, the only way you could get around was with a horse. But even in a buggy, where women were often riding, you had to have somebody who would put the traces on the horse and get the buggy ready to go. So women were dependent on men if they just wanted to go anywhere. You have to have your buggy, you have to have your horse. Not with a bicycle, you just get it out of the barn or pull it out of the garage and go. I mean, that's such a huge radical change. And it also meant women are moving fast, so you're less vulnerable. This is why bicycle was kind of like very appealing to women. And also, right, it enabled them mobility that other sports did not. Like you didn't have to have permission. You can just hop on your bike and drive somewhere. The bicycle gives women a feeling of freedom and self-reliance. It makes her feel as if she were independent. And bloomers? are the proper thing for wheeling. The 
music you just heard is a piece composed by William Dressler in 1851 entitled The Bloomer Waltz. With many women incorporating cycling into their daily lives, women discovered an opportunity to adapt their lifestyle, especially in their style of dress. This adaptation came about famously in the form of bloomers, a pair of loose pantaloons worn underneath a knee-length skirt paired with a jacket. It is as I have said, dress to suit the occasion. But even though bloomers saw resurgence thanks to the bicycle, many women were ultimately forced to set them aside. The bloomer costume was touted as a symbol of radical women who wanted to get rid of gender norms altogether and who, if successful, would cause the downfall of society. The bloomers themselves didn't end up to be as popular as feminists wanted. Feminist or women's right advocate who really saw the bloomer as a form of political statement hoped that with the rising popularity of the bicycle, they could also make bloomers um, popular themselves, right? Or more mainstream. The bloomers were very practical dress. The problem with the bloomer is that because they looked like pens, they were very much associated with masculinity. And that was a problem. Yeah, well, there was also a big fear about gender in the 19th century. If you look, there's one of the directories from the city of Rochester, um, and there's one year where it's a $1,000 fine if you cross-dress, if you're a person who is seen wearing the clothing of another gender. So when do bloomers become pants? Riding a bicycle, you know, was a public activity. It's oftentimes an according activity. So, you know, women didn't want to look ugly or, you know, or what was conceived to be ugly or masculine when they're on a date with someone riding a bicycle. <laughs> um, so this emphasis on femininity uh, really shaped kind of like bicycle fashion. With the changing times of the late 19th century came the idea of the new woman, whose image was often intertwined with the bicycle. And the ideal of the new woman is kind of like a younger, more mobile, athletic uh, woman than kind of like uh, this ideal of this, you know, very fragile, seated, uh, not mobile uh, type of woman who just kind of like sit at home and wait for her husband to come. This is not the new woman, right? The new woman going out, playing sports, doing um, all those things, and partly also, right, fight for her own political rights. Once men were afraid of women with ideas and a desire to vote. Today, our best suffragettes are sought in marriage by the best class of men. Um, so the new woman is kind of like an umbrella term to this new phenomenon of, of young women who are set, you know, out to the world um, to do their own thing. What do you think the new woman will be? Asked Nellie Bly. <laughs> She'll be free. So who are these wheeling women of Rochester? We have Frances E. Willard, a temperance activist and author who, when taking up cycling, was freed from the limitations of long skirts, high heels, and the confines of womanhood at age 53. 
She was even so taken by the bike, she wrote an entire book, A Wheel Within a Wheel, How I Learned to Ride the Bicycle. She describes the experience as, I began to feel myself plus the bicycle equaled myself plus the world. Indeed, I found a whole philosophy of life in the wooing and the winning of my bicycle. The bike also transformed the lives of apolitical women in Rochester. May Bragdon's diaries are those of an exceptionally ordinary woman whose life was radically changed by the bike and the ability to commute throughout the city of Rochester. Andrea Reitmeier previously worked for the University of Rochester's Rare Books and Special Collections and was responsible for the Bragdon family papers. According to her, May Bragdon definitely represents a single working woman in Rochester and, and similar cities. I never saw anywhere, you know, in the later years, um, where she remarks on votes for women. In 1896, though, on election day, of course, women couldn't vote yet. Her boss, um, it, it was a very beautiful day outside. And he actually says to her, and she quotes this, you can't vote, Miss Bragdon, but you can ride a bike and you better do so today. In an article written in 2016 by Bob Marcotte entitled, May Bragdon Diaries Offer Online Window into Rochester's Past, Reitmeier explains, May Bragdon's in this transitional period, where it's new and somewhat daring for a woman to be out riding alone, or in the company of men to whom she is not related by blood or marriage. In the diaries, you can see how May and her friends are constantly negotiating change, pushing their personal envelopes towards new experiences. Where women go, the sexualization of innocuous actions follows, and bike riding was no exception to this phenomenon. We also talked with Christine Radarski, the city historian for the city of Rochester and the director of the historical services for the Rochester Public Library. So we know even today that women are sexualized in very unique ways and women are then judged for their sexual activities. So it was a very similar case in the 19th century that you know, men were being very judgmental about women riding bicycles, of, you know, afraid it was going to affect their reproductive abilities, afraid it was going to give them sexual pleasure and make them promiscuous. But at the same time, men were very intrigued by that idea of these sexualized women. So there came to be these characterizations of women riding bicycles being sexually promiscuous. These characterizations are described in Two Wheels Good, the history and mystery of the bicycle within an aptly named chapter entitled Put Some Fun Between Your Legs. It features characterizations such as On those rustic roads, in those open spaces, the constraints of society no longer pertain. Cyclists can taste true freedom and surrender to their wildest desires. And that intrigued many men in the same lewd sorts of ways that women are sexualized today. Men and even many women were critical of women who chose to ride bicycles. You know, there were doctors who would argue that it could affect women's reproductive system. Um, there were people, you know, particularly in religious circles who were afraid that women were going to experience orgasms from the bumpiness of riding a bike. And, you know, they felt that that was sexually unacceptable for women to be 
participating in those types of activities. So there was a lot of criticism because, of course, as we see in the way Susan B. Anthony was treated, there was a lot of concern at that time period that women were going to become too manly and that if that happened, they would leave their place in the home, they would not follow through on their child-rearing duties, that they would try to take men's jobs and all of those sorts of things. So anything that people saw as putting women in a masculine place was, was criticized. We can talk about how far women have come, how impressive the strides made in society are, but we would be remiss to wrap up this episode saying that the story of women on bikes doesn't echo a far larger and perhaps even more frustrating conflict. Since the late 19th century, women have carved out a role in society that is about more than being quiet, docile, and out of sight, attributed in part to riding the bicycle. But the ability to wheel was not available for all women. Bicycles ranged between kind of like $100 and $200, which were a lot more back then. They were around kind of like $800 in today's dollars. For a middle-class woman, that's, you know, something that she could definitely afford. As much as the women of Rochester pushed the envelope, the ability to ride bicycles was not universal, just as the introduction of the bicycle highlighted how women were not permitted to exist freely in public space so too did the bicycle reinforce class and racial disparities. As you'll hear about in future episodes, the bicycle is more than a form of transportation, but rather a means of moving away from confining social norms and reimagining a future for Flower City, its people, and especially its women. And away she goes. The picture of free, untrammeled womanhood. Here You Are is a podcast created by students at the University of Rochester. This episode was produced by Sarah Knight. Our lead researcher was Grace Timmerman. Our engineer was Grace Stensland. The music used on this episode was from Blue Dot Sessions. The Bloomer Waltz was composed by William Dressler. We'd also like to thank Ana Verbinovich Fox, Deborah Hughes, Christine Rodarski, and Andrea Reitmeyer for their interviews. Thank you as well to our voice actor for Susan B. Anthony, Bridget Marcusfeld. The executive producers are Thomas Fleischman and Stephen Resner. This season was made possible through the financial support of the Department of History and the Department of Audio and Music Engineering. Special thanks to Jasmine Myers and the team at Hopper, who hooked up the Here You Are team with complimentary bikes for a historic tour of the city. Hopper is a micro-mobility company offering on-demand bicycle and scooter share in cities including Rochester. More info can be found at gohopper.com. Thank you as well to Jesse Piers, our tour guide, multi-episode guest, and the cycling manager at Reconnect Rochester, a cycling advocacy group working to build a more sustainable transportation infrastructure in Rochester. More info can be found at reconnectrochester.org. And finally, be sure to check out the other episodes of Here You Are Season 5, Cycle Paths, at hereyouare.com.